Some friends can be real monsters, and some monsters can be real friends. My name is Howie Mandel, and this is the episode on, wait, wrong little monsters. Playtime is over, and this is Slashers, a podcast about movies and more for those who love horror. My name is Jake, and with me as always is my esteemed colleague, co-host, and cohort producer, Chad. Howdy. And to Chad's right, my front... Jim, the Jim turned Jimothy Jim. What's up, goons? We're so much more polite this time. Remember when you were all brazen? You were like, fucking suck a duck. And we were like, whoa, simmer down there, Turbo. That's the end of the episode. Which we will actually get to, inevitably, in this one. So, boys, we're doing Little Monsters 2019, not to be confused with the Fred Savage Savage masterpiece from the 80s. Which I actually enjoyed. Which did you like better? Oh, this one for sure. Agreed. I've tried rewatching the other one recently, and it's like, it gets boring. Yeah, it's hard to watch now, but as a younger lad, it's quite interesting and oh, fun. Yeah. I forgot that one existed until I saw I saw it pop up on IMDb when I was looking at this movie. I was like, I saw the guy in all blue, that Howie Mandel. Yep, Mandel. Yes. The no voice idea. of Bobby from Bobby's World. No idea. <laughs> deal or no deal guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I had no idea. <laughs> the germaphobe who won't shake someone's hand. Yeah, I just like I How saw did he the do the makeup if he's afraid of people touching him. Yeah, it's so weird. And even in this movie, he's supposed to be like picking burgers out of people's noses and eating it and stuff. It's maybe yeah, really this was weird. the inception of his germophobia. That could very could well be. be. He was traumatized. But literally every time I see James P. Sullivan or Sully, as he's known to his friends from Monsters <laughs> Inc., I think of Howie Mandel because of the coloration and the style of horns that he has. Yeah. Let's just say I don't want this to be confused with the 2012 Little Monsters film, which is about infanticide. Hmm. Distinct and different. (laughs) Now, this movie is a little bit of an odd duck. It is virtually brand new at the time of this recording. And so our usual trivia, not really available. And our information we're able to give as far as budget and everything, also not available. Completely independent film that was sold to Hulu. Right. So I can tell you that internationally, the film grossed $23,583. But that's because they did one weekend worth of shows. Interesting. Just so they could have a premiere. Right. But other than that, the film was released at Sundance and then in the theater. So shall I go into our statistics really quickly in this episode? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so it was originally released at Sundance January 27, 2019 <gasps> against Corporate Animals, Grass is Green, of the Hole in the Ground, The Lodge, which we referenced has Alicia Silverstone as if <laughs> Memory, <laughs> The Origin of Alien, which I'm really excited to watch, Mope, Wounds, Sweetheart. Then, when it was released in theaters in its brief theatrical run, 10-8, it was released against The Addams Family and Gemini Man. Ugh. Wow. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. <laughs> when it was released on streaming, it was 10-11-19. The film has an easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl runtime of 93 minutes. Did you like it? Did you love it? Did you want more of it? I thought it was perfect. Again, 93 minutes. And Jim, you've watched it twice. How is the replayability on this? Awesome. I didn't actually didn't like the beginning of it the first time. Hey, me too. I thought it was just too long. The fighting and is drawn out. And then the second time, I don't know if because I'm like taking getting ready to take notes or whatever, write down my thoughts. It just didn't seem as long. Okay, It it kind of made more of an impact on the relationships and stuff. But if I may, I think I had the same reaction when it came to it feeling belabored. But I think it's because they did such a good job, Edgar Wright kind of style of they that montage of them fighting is very effective. And then they go into them fighting. And I'm like, well, 
why? We already had this great thing. Let it speak for itself. Right. right. But I also think that to a certain degree that's padding because that's cheap and easy to film compared to children and zombies. Right? Yeah. So that's my very cutting edge theory. The film was written and directed by Abe Forsyth, son, of course, of Drew Forsyth. Oh, now, yeah. Who's he, that? <laughs> he's a comedian. Oh, okay. He dropped out of high school at age 15. That is a huge gamble on yourself to be a (laughs) successful director. (laughs) So by this time, he had done a film called Ned, which was a comedy about Ned Kelly. And the big success that he had was Down Under, which was about race riots. And that movie just kind of languished in distribution hell and never really became as big as it ought to have. Now, he has a cameo in this film as Constable Campbell Todd and his son Spike has a cameo as school kid zombie. Now, why do you think it's very important to him that his son Spike have a cameo in this film? Because the film is only possible because of Spike. Not Spike (laughs) TV, Spike the child. Now, his son in real life has a lot of allergies just like the character Felix from this film. So, he was a stay-at-home dad for much of his son's life in taking him to school it was a very horrific experience for him he's entrusting his child who's never been out of his care with a person knowing that his son has all these dietary restrictions and he was so impressed with the kid's kindergarten teacher like through the roof i've watched probably 20 different interviews with him now and every time he has just these glowing things to say about this woman and they actually went on a excursion and an excursion to a petting zoo Funny enough, the petting zoo from this movie with 25 kids. And at one point, he just looks over to the side and thinks, well, what would happen if that was a zombie? And he thought to himself, and I don't think that he's pandering to this woman because he never says her name in any of the interviews that I've seen, that if the zombie apocalypse were to happen, he would feel safe and comfortable with his son with this woman. Wow. That's how much that he trusted her, given the way she was able to accommodate his dietary restrictions, also to prevent him from seeing things that are you know, questionable and will expel his innocence. But is she as hot? Dude, I don't know. Dude, her freaking (laughs) arms? I was like, I want those arms. She attributed that to being in Black Panther the same year. Better than Michelle Obama's arms. I'm sorry. That's fair. She was like ripped. But how do her arms compare to Grace Jones of Conan the Destroyer fame? Oh, okay. Legit. Grace Jones is the only woman who can pull off a flat top. Prove me wrong. (laughs) Yes, that is true. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I win. Isn't that girl like seven inches taller too? Grace Jones? Yeah. She's not a girl. She's a woman. She's all woman. (laughs) And she's 17 feet tall. Yeah. Yeah. I'd climb that tree. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's only five foot ten. Oh, she's only five foot ten. She's shorter than Roger Moore, who is six foot one, which also <laughs> came up on Google for some reason. Next to Dolph Lundgren. Right. Okay. Wow. You saw it too. <laughs> yeah. And then it's also Tanya Roberts, who's five foot eight. Why? I huh. Okay. Neato. But that's the point. <laughs> so Mr. Forsyth never actually had a plan to do a rom-zom, zom-com, whatever you want to call it. That was not one of his ambitions. In fact, in multiple interviews I saw, he referred to Shaun of the Dead and Dead Alive, Brain Dead in its original title, as being the high watermarks for zombie comedies. He had this story very organically developed from his own personal experience. 
and you hear a lot of talking about finding your truth. You know, Josh Gad was talking about, oh, the kids, they're the truth because they're so truthful in their truth of acting. <laughs> but I think that there's something very earnest to be said about the insecurities that come from him being a father and those worries. And I don't know if it was just me because of where I am in my life right now, being a young father. I'm not young. I feel like I'm aging at a very rapid rate, but my kid is young. <laughs> and I liked this movie as much, if not more, than Shaun of the Dead the first time I saw it. It is as good to me as Dead Alive, even though Dead Alive checks like every Jake box you can imagine. That movie is <laughs> sacrosanct. I have to give this movie a little bit of a handicap given certain factors, but it's so well done. This goes back to Chad and my probably favorite episode of Recent Memory, which was Alien, where we yes. have a movie that is ostensibly completely unoriginal, mm -hmm. but is done in such an effective, concise way that it's just... How can you argue it's mastery? Right. We had that conversation for quite a long time. It was like an hour just talking about how it pulled from so many sources, but it just was done very well. Yeah. So at the start of this film, Mr. Forsyth says to his crew that he wants them to think that the universal logo is before the movie. And he says, that's what we need them to see. That is what we need them to think. And one of the reasons was, A, he wanted to make a good picture, but then B, he wanted to push it to an extent where you have to have ingratiated yourself to the audience. You have to have them in the palm of your hand before you can get weird. You know, so when we'll talk about this, he was talking about Josh Gad's character, Terry McGiggles. He was actually way worse in some drafts of this film. Forsyth spent six months editing this film and doing test screenings because that balance of the perfect edge to comedy ratio was mm -hmm. very hard to strike. He noted there were some times with the version that he would put in that he would like lose audiences and just never get them back. They'd be completely checked out for the rest of the movie because he'd gone too far. So finding a very good middle ground, I think they do a very effective job. Even us as provocateurs, if you will, I felt that he went to a great line. I didn't feel like it was overly simplified. It wasn't like he was wearing kids gloves. Would you agree with his remarks? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say, you guys talked about in the Shining episode, the kids gloves with the, the director. And, and the boy in the movie. Do you think that... Because they are super vulgar in this movie. How much of that do you think the kids were exposed to? I was Not looking a at word. that. Because, Not a single word? Yeah, well, every time Josh Gad is actually like cussing and screaming and saying like they're going to die or whatever, fuck them. It's like a solo shot of him and the teacher so that obviously you can't see the kids behind. There's never like him yelling at the kids right. at, in like the language. So I'm pretty sure they probably protected them pretty well. Yeah, I think actually strict rules against them swearing in front of the children. Oh, they could interesting. not. In fact, so here's an interesting part. In order to get him to talk about Aunt Sarah's slutty vagina, they had to have the kid who played Felix do like four other lines that was like saucy pineapple or whatever so that he <laughs> would think they were just nonsense words and his parents had to be right there. That's how strictly they took it, that the kids weren't going to be subjected to anything inappropriate. That's awesome. And they would use code words on the set like fluffy duck, fudge, go fuck yourself, <laughs> stuff like that, where the kids wouldn't exactly know what was being said. But yeah, with Chad's point, I found that in my research after the fact. It is a little distracting in the movie, but I'm right. fine with it. They did a little bit of ADR, you could tell, but yeah. it's really not bad. But we're all dads, because that was my thought, too. I was like, wow, like they're saying a lot. And I was like, okay, they're obviously showing the complete split, you know, so there's no way that they're right. talking. They edited it so well, too, so I'm like... Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> just... Especially when Mr. Giggle was just like, fuck you. And like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of that. But then, of course, with Felix, 
he did say the the slutty vagina, and then I love it so much. <laughs> slutty vagina. Then, I I mean that's probably the only bad one though. And then he well the other two kids talking about douchebags, but that's not even not yeah. even on the same scale right. as it isn't what he said. So one thing that I thought was very important when I was talking about the whole truth nonsense earlier, the director actually had a quote: "You always follow your truth, but embrace the chaos." And so that's one of the things he was talking about in the conceptualization of this film is by kind of what he means by going into the chaos. He allowed his actors to improvise, which is interesting because Lupita Nyong'o would be very well researched. She'd have a very composed idea of what she wanted her character to be. Then you had the chaos of Josh Gad, which actually makes him a great juxtaposition because Miss Caroline is so well put together. And because Mr. McGiggles is so off the rails that when you put them in that situation, they were actually able to have some fun, which I think is right. great shows. I think it does a really good balance. Yes. One thing I wanted to talk about in going back to the distribution of the film, we know it's being distributed through a streaming service with Hulu, right? Now, the director was talking about he obviously made this movie to be the communal general horror experience going to a theater and so forth. But he had such a hard time getting down under distributed that he thinks that the good outweighs the bad significantly. Now, did you feel that you had like missed out on seeing this with 20 people? Because I watched this with just my wife and we had a gay old time. I didn't feel like I needed that kind of, you know, like, for instance, I saw Tropic Thunder alone in theaters. I hate that movie. I don't th find it funny at all. And I have people who think that it's the funniest fucking movie ever. And I, I largely attribute that to me sitting there watching it alone and not having anybody to like laugh with. That's what's interesting is I actually had to watch this alone and I still enjoyed it. Yeah, I think what you're talking about is like the sitcom effect, like the, the laugh track. Right. Kind of if other people are laughing in a theater with you, you might kind of like oh that okay that was kind of funny it's a, yeah was two and a half men where they have the groan track have you heard that <laughs> no I haven't. Oh, google yeah you'll have to google it i don't think it's on youtube anymore but, but that's the funniest thing ever that's kind of what you're getting at is that like i i don't think i missed out anything by not seeing it right what if i mean I, I don't know how much the movie would have gained from sit, seeing it in a theater setting either i think it would help with some things like every time we all watch a movie together i think we enjoy the movie almost no matter what and we laugh and we have a good time. But this is this holds its own even by itself because my whole family was asleep when I watched it and it was quite entertaining. Right. The first time I watched it was with my wife, just in bed. And then, oh, the, yeah, covered <laughs> in juices. Yeah. Strawberry jam. What juices? Whoa. There we go. That's. <laughs> ooh. And then the second time was in my school library with my headphones in and a bunch also of people. Strawberry jam all over you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, and I did, I liked it even more the second time. So I don't think it takes anything away from it. I think David is much more palatable the second time. Oh my God. He's so bad the first time, but yes. it's good. So we talked about this with McGiggles, the, the cross angles, or I guess the trajectories. E exactly. Where McGiggles gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And David gets better and better and better and better. And because you're doing it on such a compressed timetable to have such a rapid progression, it helps to have them both together. So you realize by the end of the movie, you needed David to be that bad because he's never going to be as bad as McGiggles. Right. But it contextualizes it because you're like, oh, he's a loser, but he isn't the devil. So even in the beginning, you're thinking, oh, this guy sucks. And then you see somebody who really sucks who's getting off on fucking kids' moms. Like, right. wow. That conversation yeah. that they have is like the major like turning point. Oh, yeah. You know, where he's just like, oh, my dad left and my sister raised me and mom went crazy. And then he's like, I just like to fuck their moms. <laughs> that's such it a makes great me scene. feel better. Right. And from there, you're like, that's where you finally get like the humane like switch. And it's great because they don't overdo it. 
he just right. makes that reference and talking about like seeing his mom in an asylum on holidays. And that's the whole movie explained. That's that whole character explained in one sentence without a flashback, without a sentimental overture with the music. <laughs> and him having some, no, it's very simple and it's clean. And I think it does a really good job. It, it's kind of a bold move not to have to lean into those things. Yes. And this is something we've talked about on this show a bunch. When a writer director can show that kind of restraint and not beat you to death with some of those choices, I'm always so happy because sometimes they want to keep every fucking idea in and it's exhausting. Right. And they're giving the critics like some level of intelligence. Like they think that people will understand. Yes. In terms of the way that the director was talking about McGiggles and encouraging Josh Gad to do improv and everything, he talked about specifically, quote, I'm a believer that you go too far to pull back to get that perfect place because it's easier in post to restrain something, but you can't go and add crazy. Right. And I think that's definitely something that shows and having something simple in the script and having simple dialogue that you can riff off of. You have the gist. Right. If you see virtually any Bill Murray film, like I'll never forget when they were doing Zombieland. They're like, oh, yeah, he didn't say a single line that we wrote, but it was better for it. But the structure (laughs) worked where people could work very simply off of him. And I think that shows pretty damn well. Now, makeup by Damian Martin and Adam Johansson. Now, how many extras do you think they had for this film? Specifically zombie extras. Oh, did you say a thousand, Jim? Over a thousand? Jim, that's a remarkably accurate (laughs) guesstimate. Over 1,000 extras in the Australian summer covered in fucking makeup. Wow. Can you believe that? No. I can. I mean, I don't know. Even me, if they're like, hey, you want to be in a zombie movie? You're going to have to sit in the sun for hours. I'd be like, yes. (laughs) You're not going to pull a George A. Romero and pay me $1, are you? Okay, then yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I want my Screen Actors Guild credit, you fucks. All right, boys. Are we ready to go into nicknames? Snicknames? Prick names? Lapita Nyong'o as Miss Audrey Caroline. I wanted to call her Mbop. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I actually dated a girl in my mid-20s. Her favorite band, unironically, was Hanson. I did not know they were still a band. So one day, she was driving us somewhere. Actually, I think we were going to like a Rob Zombie horror thing. And she puts on some like alternative music. And I'm like, oh, okay, this isn't my jams, but whatever. And I was like, they sound familiar. And she goes, oh, yeah, this is Hanson. And I was like, ha, that's funny. She was dead serious. Wow. So this scene where she like confesses to him about her past, I was like, this is uncomfortably familiar. <laughs> that was probably the weirdest part of the movie for me. I'm not going to lie, because it was so autobiographical in some ways. Yeah, that's creepy. Anything better? No. Did you know that she was born in Mexico, <sighs> but she was raised in Nairobi? Now, she had come off of the Best Supporting Actress role for 12 Years a Slave. She was in Black Panther, which was a quintuple trillion dollar movie or whatever. One thing I think is very interesting, despite being hugely famous by this point, she was introduced to the children as Miss Caroline. They only knew her as Miss Caroline. They created lessons plans so that they would treat her as their teacher, and they thought she was their teacher. Yeah, that's crazy. I feel like every way that they've done this movie... It's just awesome. It's so simple. <laughs> right. It's so smart. And you're like, protecting you the Arnold kids. Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. was the, like a teacher in kindergarten cop? No. <laughs> <laughs> and she learned to play the ukulele. That's awesome. Yep. You, you can get an Academy Award winner to pick up and finger a new instrument. You know you've done something right. <laughs> now, Lupita was actually Forsyth's first and only real choice when it came to Miss Caroline. And he was completely shocked that they made the offer. 
She reads the script. They talk on Skype the next day. He wakes up and finds that she's accepted the role. That is awesome. She wanted to experiment with comedy. And here's the thing. She talked about this fact being two-pronged. One, never really gets offered comedy. But two, the comedy that she's offered, she never really found funny. She loved the juxtaposition of the innocence of youth and the jadedness of being older and the fact that she could kind of play a straight man in a situational comedy. So even if she plays it straight, the situation that's built around her makes the whole scene funny. So she does have moments where she says things that are comedic, but otherwise it's like a win-win, right? Right. Because she actually accepted the film, Forsyth was saying that he felt that was a sense of validation to him and his crew in doing this movie. They had some kind of credential that was appealing to somebody of her stature. Now, the song, Shake It Off. Shake It Off. Woo-woo. They had yes. tried and struggled for months <laughs> to get the rights to that song. Couldn't do it. Completely gets stonewalled. Wow. Apparently, Taylor Swift's like, whatever. Here's the fun part. <laughs> Lupita Nyong'o actually has a very soft spot for that song. Apparently, when it came out, she was working overseas. She was unhappy with herself professionally. And her friend, her best friend, came to visit her and played the song on the phone. And they had a dance party in her room. So this meant a lot to her. So she shares that story with Taylor Swift, who virtually immediately responds and gives them the rights to do the, use the song in their film. That's pretty cool. Crazy serendipity, right? Yeah. You want another one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> Darth Vader's in this film, right? What? They actually got additional insurance should Disney sue them for the inclusion of the likeness of Darth Vader. <laughs> who, Jim, who owns a controlling right in Hulu now? Oh, Disney. They're so. not going to sue themselves. <laughs> right. Crazy serendipity so far beyond their control. How cool is that? It just feels like everything kind of just fell into place. Exactly. Like, and I'm sure this director who's not well known or anything. He's like, okay, this is going to work out. This is going to work out. This is going to work out. Like his next movie, he's like, what the fuck happened? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Everything was so easy last time. Now she was talking about how wrangling the kids was hard to get them to do any work, but getting them to do the same thing twice was quote, nearly impossible. Yeah. And she said it was a consistent challenge every day, but you know what the hardest thing for her was not laughing at Josh Gad's improvisation. (laughs) She said that was literally the hardest thing about the shoot. And that's saying something. Yeah. I mean, if you're having too good a time. Awesome. Does she have kids? Oh. Because that's crazy. I just know that she's from Mexico. Oh, all right. Mm-hmm. One thing that she said about co-star Alex England, she praised him for his ability to play an incredibly dumb character while being a very mature and intellectual individual. She would like literally think that he was an idiot and then they'd break and she'd go right back to being charming and witty. And she was like, oh, right. Acting. That's good to hear because sometimes people play themselves. She says yeah. this in front of him at the Q&A and you can see the look on his face like, what? She thought I was what? <laughs> Poor guy. So that cues us into Uncle David. What shall we call Alexander England for this film? Oof. God's sledgehammer. Yeah, that's good. We call him Sledge for short. Sledge, sure. Cool. (laughs) He was also an alien covenant, and he was in the movie Down Under with Abe Forsyth previously, where he played the character Shitstick. Oh. (laughs) Regarding working with the kids, he was very 
aware of the old stigma. You don't want to work with kids. You don't want to work with animals, right? But he was, he offered a very interesting insight where he talked about the adults taking responsibility for the kids not reacting correctly or, or you know, looking at the camera or doing things that they did. And he talked a lot about the preparedness that they all had to have, even with the kids being amazing. Right. I think it's very cool for an actor to take that kind of initiative. And he clearly has a love for not only Abe, but the source material as well. I thought that was cool. Could you see that in his character? Yes. <laughs> they respond really well to him towards the end of the movie. Right. I actually enjoyed his character with the kids. It definitely seemed like he put time in to be with them. And I know that that like rule of not working with kids is a little bit different. Like if you're going to work with kids actors in the US, you're kind of like, oh, they're probably little shits. But it seemed like how they treated these kids, they were so sheltered by everything. It just seemed like that rule wouldn't take effect in this movie as much. So the kids weren't completely sheltered. It wasn't okay. like Danny Torrance from The Shining. Like they were aware that there were zombies. But what they did is they introduced the kids to people who were in complete zombie makeup who acted just like normal people. Okay. But in doing that, it's very brilliant because what does Miss Caroline say throughout the whole movie? It's not real. It's not real. It's not real. Thus creating the truth in fiction. They see her as the teacher. Right. They see her saying this isn't real. So when they're shooting, the blissful ignorance that the kids have thinking they're playing some stupid VR game is their sincere and earnest reaction right. because that's the way they've been presented the information. Super smart. Yeah. Right. Because they were never portrayed as like they're the kids are terrified or, oh my God, we're going to be eaten. They're always... It was just, goes into the theme of like the optimistic. Yeah. There's always hope or whatever going right. through. And so they always seemed very genuine, especially exactly. going back with how they interact with, with David. Even Max is, right? Even, He's a yeah. fucking shit kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, yeah. Even near the end, they actually show like true emotion of like them being bored. <laughs> They're like, I don't want to play the game anymore. They just kind of seem like, oh, I just want to go play golf. And you're like, shut up, kid. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let me ask you this. I think one of the things that makes me like this movie, like I said, as much, if not more than Shaun of the Dead, Shaun of the Dead, I'm rooting for those people to die. I Even the shit kid, I didn't want him to die. Right. I just wanted him to be a better kid, which is such a unique experience. It kind of goes to you know Stephen King's It. People root for the Losers Club. When they become adults, you're like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> right? I think that's very much in this movie. But what's cool is you've seen David redeem himself through it. So you want to see him live. Miss Caroline is this beacon of good. So the people who live, like I was rooting for, and I'm the guy who's always like, I want him to die. This right. person needs to die. How many movies have we done where I was like, oh yeah, John Goodman in that arachnophobia, beloved character, needed to die. Yes. There you go. So we have Mbop and Sledge. We then move on to Josh Gad as Nathan Schneider, Teddy McGiggle. What do you think of Josh Gad in this role? I was very happy with it. I'm shocked because we always have a conversation that you hate Josh Gad. I hate him inexplicably. I just think he's the most annoying person ever. I don't like Olaf. I think Olaf is annoying. I like the character design of Olaf. I just find the voice annoying. I find that summer song annoying. I don't know what it is. I what? was never impressed with the Book of Mormon. What about his uh, role in Beauty and the Beast live action one? Fine. <laughs> you know, like it wasn't I don't understand bad. this hate. It, no, he wasn't bad there. He just wasn't as good as he could have been. Okay. I like the idea when he was like trying to use social media to get to play the penguin. I like that. I'm, I hope that he would get that role over Jonah Hill. I don't care about Jonah Hill. Okay. Yeah, I don't either. You don't need $10 million to play the penguin. Take a million dollars. Come on. I think that he did a really good job. I, I have a hard time with certain tropes, you know, 
the jaded actor. I enjoy it, but it can be very in humor. I don't think this is exclusively in industry humor. I think he does a very good job of making it big enough to be understandable by anybody. But he's some of the things, things he talks about, like learning acting from Pacino and then saying it's Al Pacino. I'm like, that's so fucking brilliant. <laughs> what yeah. that is, is him going, you didn't react to me. Let me reiterate because you must be too stupid. Right. <laughs> and yeah, I think he does a very good job. And if you've seen Death to Smoochie, he, this is rarefied air of people who can pull off the evil kid host well. And I think he did a good job. What do you think? Oh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it definitely added a lot to the film. His role, I think, helped me get through it for when dealing with the kids and everything. I yeah. I really enjoyed his character. Well, it's an interesting dynamic because otherwise it's just kids in a room. Yes. And the the interaction between like the teacher when she's just so good and sweet and when she like tells him that she's going to freaking like kill him. I was like, oh, this is great. That's when I fell in love. Him. I was like, boing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jim, what did you think? Uh, I thought he was great, too. I especially liked how even when he wasn't saying anything, he just his facial expression or whatever. He's standing in the corner, just glowering at the kids <laughs> or and drinking at, hand sanitizer, drinking hand yes. sanitizer. <laughs> or pretty sure it was a bottle of rubbing alcohol or something. But yeah, I thought he was good. And talking about the so they need some sort of inside. So zombies are outside. They need that antagonist inside because David's no longer the the idiot screwing exactly. things up. He's I mean, he kind of is. But he's he's in that transition phase where he's he's turning he's into the hero, right. innocently screwing things up. He's right. negligent. He's not malicious. Right. So yeah. so as as long as they're in there, he plays that good and and a good antagonist for the group. Yeah. And this is this that's what they're trying to overcome at that point is Josh Gad. You know. So I, I thought he was great. Yeah. And uh, Abe Forsyth talked about how he wanted McGiggle to be as much of a monster as the zombies outside. Right. When you truly think about it, like what's worse for a kid to see the tearing down of this facade that they love and worship or some monster that they think is a video game, very truly, this is a worse scenario. Right. Right. Gad said that he based, he quote, kind of based him a little on Mel Gibson. There's a lot of little things where I'm thinking of a celebrity going through a very major meltdown. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was like, Yikes. oh, <laughs> of course, a film in Australia would have an Australian guy who went crazy. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I wonder if Josh Gad will do a movie where he uh, uses a beaver puppet. Do you mm, remember that was a I thing do. that yeah. Mel Gibson did? That's like one of his first comeback ones, right? He Well, it tried to be. Tried to be. Well, I mean, even now, he's still kind of acceptable. Now, here's the thing, guys. I need to tell you why I actually like Josh Gad. What I said before, it was bullshit. I just hadn't gotten to the right parts of my mm -hmm. notes. So at Sundance, he was talking about a Q&A. He name drops a movie that I love. He name drops a fight scene that I love. One of his favorite films of all time is They Live. Oh, yeah. And thus, the fight scene in the alley with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yep. Love Keith it. David was a huge influence on his fight with David in this film yeah. where he repeatedly <laughs> calls him fat, which is the funniest <laughs> shit, even though it was completely improvised. Yeah. Oh, it was great. And so when they were doing the blocking for the fight scene, Gad was looking over at the prop guy being like, hey, can I smash this? Can I break that? <laughs> And the dude was like, had this look of just dread on his face, thinking like, this is a small budget film, man. You can't, you cannot do that. But they made it work very well. Oh. And the last thing I want to touch on with Gad, before we give him his actual nickname, is he talked very graciously about the director, Abe Forsyth, talking about how zombies historically have been a metaphor for something bigger. 
you know, whether it's the disproportionate wealth in movies like Land of the Dead, social status, things of that. In this movie, what he was very happy with was the zombies as a metaphor for something that takes the innocence away from children. And that is so versatile because from everybody's perspective, the things that steal a child's innocence are so different. You might think it's titties. Chad might think it's violence. I might think that it's drugs. And this, you know, these characters, because it's the way it is, you can take it and run with it any which way that you want. Whether, you know, it's being too plugged into the web, man. (laughs) I think that's cool. And so I would propose the nickname Olaf, but I'm happy to pick anything else. I don't remember. What's uh, Rainbow Randolph was my second choice. (laughs) What's that from? That's the Smoochie. It's Robin oh, okay. Williams' character. Have you seen that movie? No, I haven't. It's delightful. I'm fine with Olaf. It's easy. Yeah. You haven't easy. seen Rainbow Randolph, so. Yeah. Let's and yeah, Olaf. we've all have kids, so I'm pretty sure we've all seen. <laughs> I've. That's the movie that my son would watch. Even as young as he is, like he would sit and watch. He stopped now, but like he would sit and watch like a lot of it. So we've watched Frozen about 150 times in the last couple months. Oh, you're, you're lucky because my two daughters love it so much. And part two comes out on my daughter's birthday. And all I hear for every single day is, guess what comes out on my birthday? And I'm like, yes, honey. I know. I promise I'll take you as long as you do not talk about it again. And I love the fact of how many times I've heard that story and I'm annoyed by it. You can only imagine how many times Chad has. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking, like, wake kid, up. You're cute, but you're not that fucking cute. <laughs> Go to bed. Oh, everything. So when it comes to the other characters, you had Diesel La Toraca as Felix. I was going to call him Anakin just because he's little Vader. <laughs> yeah. Then there's Charlie Whitley as Max. The only thing I wanted to mention about him, I was going to call him Happy Gilmore, by the way, was he was very eager at Sundance to talk about the fact that the sheep entrails that the zombies are eating at the beginning were spaghetti. Oh, adorable. <laughs> he cool. was so excited. I was like, look at you, little Mr. Man. But yeah, do you do do you accept me with my Anakin and my Happy Gilmore? Would you like to return volley with something else? No, Jim. What's the Happy Gilmore reference? Because the little kid only wants to putt putt, and he yells about yeah. it. He's, oh, he's one at the end, like hitting. Yeah. Uh, he's violent. Yeah. Okay. With that, we shall move on to the recapitation to be completed by Eeny Meeny Miny Mo Catch a Tiger by that Jim. Jimmy's seen it twice. Super teacher takes kids on a field trip. And defends them from a zombie outbreak. Here's a question. I need you guys to take me very seriously here. Mary, fuck, kill. But we're just going to use two different characters. Miss Frizzle, Miss Caroline. I'm not doing a third one. <laughs> but just the idea of Miss... Fr- okay, here. Miss Frizzle, the magic school bus, Miss Caroline. Which one do you marry? Which one do you fuck? Which one do you kill? Hmm. Mary, Miss Caroline. Fuck the bus? <laughs> <laughs> Wow, you would kill an Academy Award winner? Yeah. Wow. Hey, that bus can change into a lot of things. It's got some magic. Can it change into Lapita Nyong'o? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I derailed you quite enough. Let's go into the slay by play. The film starts with a couple fighting, and it's a montage of multiple fights. She's a realtor. He's a loser musician cranking his wank into the VR. <laughs> I love so much that she's yelling at him on the phone as people are walking out of her listing because I've seen people have those mental breakdowns and I've thought to myself, what's worth fighting over to that degree? Right. There you go. Like it's just shows how fucking like there's nothing redeeming shown and they still keep fighting. It's awesome. Right. And this I think is like 
the part that we all talked about the most, whether we liked it or disliked it, was the opening scene and how long it was. And you guys seem to like kind of turn to like it even more. I haven't seen it a second time, but yeah, I just think it was a little bit long. And then you kind of drop off with her character. It felt tedious. Yeah, yeah. And then for whatever reason, the second time I watched it, it just didn't feel as tedious. But were you like fully watching it or were you just kind of... I feel like, like I was okay, kind of, it's going to get through I this. I feel like I was the same <laughs> invested in it as I was the first okay. time. But so. I mean, at least you know like what's coming down the pipeline maybe. Right. So that might help it. So, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, when you look at the length in the movie, I don't think it's beyond 15 minutes that you're getting to. I'm going to double check it right now, actually. Yeah. By 15 minutes into the movie, all that has taken place and it's just him dealing with the kid. I mean, the whole scene when he goes to the apartment with Felix as Darth Vader is seven minutes in. Right. So by that point, you've already had the breakup, him walking out, her looking sad, him going to his sisters, the whole establishing scene with the dietary restrictions, him being overly sensitive, you know, the David showing him stuff he shouldn't with the video game, going there and then being back. So I could see it, it felt belabored, but then by the time, like I said, I didn't even get out of the movie before I thought that that character choice or the arc was redeemed because of Mick Giggle. If right. it wasn't for a character like that, you entirely right. I would be like, this sucks. But I like that crossing where it's like, oh yeah, you, you're not even bad. You were just not good. Whereas this guy is bad. <laughs> yeah. Bad man. When he goes to his sister's house, the kid is watching... Mr. McGiggle on the TV with the lookalike Kermit puppet and then he starts playing the zombie video game. They have the pizza. He wakes up Felix, dresses him as Darth Vader because Abe Forsyth's son Spike, huge fan of Darth Vader, still hasn't seen the movie as of the time of this recording because he's a child. Children probably shouldn't watch this. Point being, you know, it's very autobiographical in that regard. Because at first I was like, why the fuck would you dress a kid like Darth <laughs> Vader and take him to an apartment? Now, what do you guys think of the scene with Aunt Sarah's slutty vagina? <laughs> Everything about it was hilarious. Agreed. I like that he gets his ass kicked. I like that the guy's dick and balls is touching his arm. It's just yeah. such an uncomfortable scene. And he's super right. polite about it, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stop swearing in front of the kid. You got your dick and balls out. <laughs> so then he was going to use his nephew... To propose to his girlfriend of nine years who he just walked out on with a pizza box that had marker on it at like three in the morning. And a pipe cleaner ring. Oh, that's right. I forgot yeah. about that. And then he takes his <laughs> bong and leaves forgetting Darth Vader. Yeah. And then says, come Darth Vader. <laughs> I mean, really, it's uh. so good. And so from there, you end up, they go back home. Sister's pissed. You're dead to me. Leave. And he's like, but please. And so the next scene is him taking the kid to school. And this is where he sees Miss Caroline. Bum, bum, bum. What happened to Chad not knowing what music is? I don't know. It ruined that gimmick. <laughs> he talks to her about being in a band. Good sledgehammer. <laughs> Now, oh, is that a Christian? I love that, <laughs> that so, so much. When he's like, "No, oh, because I'm Christian." Oh yeah, yeah, it's a Christian man. I'm a Christian. <laughs> and then he just pulls out some arbitrary Bible like quote later. It's so perfect. It's the oh. poseur. Which, speaking of poseur Christians, if you haven't watched Righteous Gemstones, it's not horror. Oh. It is 
so fucking yeah. good. I watched the first episode and I'm just waiting to like get fully into it. But it is it is very good. <laughs> Let me tell you, the last three episodes of that season all feel like season finales. Right. Well, even the first episode, I was like, damn. All right. Sorry. Love it. Before sorry, before we go on, because we went over the scene of or the whole beginning of the movie where he's at he's at with Felix and his sister and showing him all the bad stuff. So they like reference a lot of stuff later in the movie. Like everything comes back to play a part, right? Very Edgar Wright, yeah. Right. Is, do you think it was too much? Because there's literally every little thing. It was the pizza. His tractors, the pizza, allergies, Mr. McGiggle. Zombies. Zombies, Darth Vader. Music. Music. God, there's so many. I was trying to write them down and they're just every little thing right. re- reoccurs later. And I thought it was great. It's very much to me when Nick Frost is talking about at the in Shaun of the Dead when they're at the Winchester and they're talking about, you know, going to their whole day planning out and then stumbling back for a couple shots at the Winchester. Right. Bloody Mary. Exactly. All that stuff. It's that equivalent for this movie where this sets forth all of those pieces that you pick up on. They're like little gifts because, like, oh, I, I know this. And he did it in such a time effective way. That's what I'm saying. Like, I get that it was kind of belabored. But when you think about the actual time investment, you get a lot of information in a really short amount of time. Like the time spent at that farm and with those zombies is pretty remarkable for a movie of this budget. Like I never thought there'd be that many zombies on screen for that long. Right. Right. I think probably because I watched it twice in like four days. It's probably more for me. It's like, oh yeah, he did all this. But I don't think I thought that at the time. Like, oh, he's laying out everything. Even when I saw it later, I'm like, oh, they laid out everything right in front of us. I don't think I it like registered at the time, but then watching it again, I'm like, yeah, literally everything they talk about and everything they mention is brought up again. Something that adds to the plot too. Right. It didn't feel crammed in and it didn't feel like a ripoff of Edgar Wright. It's done in a completely right. different style. If anything, it's more casually introduced. It's very organic. Yes. I mean, if you had kids, you know that the amount of attention that they demand is that scene. I'm talking about Mr. McGiggles. I'm talking about your video game. I'm talking about pizza. I'm t- and you're just like, enough (laughs) let me play my music (laughs) so then you got uncle david sledge who volunteers to help on the field trip otherwise the field trip doesn't get to happen that actually happens in the scene with the whole christian yeah one of the funniest things i've ever seen this reminds me so much of insincere christian guys who have their acoustic guitar like you know bonfires or whatever miss caroline (laughs) finishes playing her ukulele and says we have a real musician here Yes. Why don't you play us a song? He's like, I'm not, he says, quote, I'm not prepared. Then pulls out his electric guitar and his amp <laughs> and plays them a song. It's even worse than the acoustic guitar. It's oh, so perfect. Yes. It, the shitty song is shitty. A little bit generic, but I thought it was still fun because the kid's reaction is just so, you know, kids are remarkably resilient. So it's not like that one weird thing was going to ruin their day. So the fact that it kind of breezes over, it helps the plot of the film. Am I boring you both? Yep. No, this is just my, all my friends were that guitar guy. (laughs) (laughs) All except me. All except Jimmy. I don't play the guitar. Well, not well. No, I'm talking growing up in high school, junior high. My friends were those guys. I'm going to pull out my capo. That is why I hate music so much. (laughs) Where guys would bring out like a little clampy thing to put on the neck of the guitar. So they wouldn't bring the guitar. They'd use somebody else's guitar. They're like, oh, let me just. Brink. <laughs> I'm Dave Matthews. No, all my friends brought out every instrument, like even that portable drum thing. Oh, and the I was, 
No, but like Were you uh, playing that Donkey Kong Country game. <laughs> do you remember no. that? We had to play with the congas. No. Da, da, come on, shake your body, baby. Do that Ooh. conga. No, you can't okay, control yourself any longer. <laughs> you okay? I was suppressing a sneeze. Good. Is it in your bowels now? <laughs> <laughs> All right. They go to Pleasant Valley, and there's a sign that says that there's a U.S. Army testing facility. Yeah. <laughs> I love that it's Americans. It's our fault because we're the warmongers, the devils, the evils. It's perfect. Yes. And they just give it to you. It's just like Sean said, I don't give a fuck why. I just love the way that it happens. Jim, do you want to walk us through how that scenario goes down? So this is where the people are in patrol. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's just two army people walking through hallways, underground hallways, and they're talking. One of the guys was talking about all the deadly animals in Australia. <laughs> the poisonous, everything. All the yeah. poison, yeah, and how everything's so deadly. And they come across a zombie in like a jumpsuit type of thing eating somebody a scientist lady. lady they're like oh crap one of them escaped and uh <laughs> so they sh they shoot it and then i believe one of them the girl jumps in a cart that was there and drives off and then the the scientist lady pops up and uh, gets the guy gets the guy who was so worried about poison and then he gets yeah. a different kind of venom it's zombism yeah so uh, Did you like that? I love the fact that they're like surprised that the zombie is there, but it's not surprised that zombies exist. It was very well, well, yeah. She says something about it. She She's said, like, oh, one of the like reanimators. Project are, Regeneration. Oh, Regeneration, yeah. Yeah, she said, Jesus, one of them is free. And then something about yeah. Project Regeneration. So obviously testing right. something like that. Right, but even the guy, like the guy was funny because he was the one talking about all the stuff he was like afraid of and didn't want to get killed. He shoots the zombie a whole bunch of times and then she like pulls it out, shoots him in the head and she's like, keep the area safe. I'm going to go get help. And yeah, it was, it was good. It was a good setup. Yeah, he was definitely like a little air brainy. Right. And she was the badass, serious <laughs> badass taking care of business. TCB. So then it cuts to the montage of them on the bus and Caroline's playing with the kids and then you see the Humvees pass. Again, you're a little bit of foreshadowing. Something is dire is happening here. And then the kids see Teddy McGiggle coming off the bus and they lose their BFing minds. <laughs> did you like, I thought it was super organic the way they did that van with the puppet coming out of the top froggy. Right. Where, because that ends up being a significant plot point later in their attempt to escape. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. So this is where he tries to flirt with Miss Caroline on TV. Doesn't work out, but not bad. <laughs> the puppeteer ends up looking really disenchanted and very cynical, which I liked because it shows immediately you're establishing this guy is not what he appears right, to be. Right. There's something odd. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I mean, if you've seen the trailer or anything, you knew that that was going to be the case, but it's just nice that it, fe it feels lived in. Other people are sick of his shit. Right, it's not like this is a sudden twist because sometimes in the zombie movie the guy goes crazy and then then he becomes an asshole. Whereas this, no, 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 this guy's been an asshole since day one, brother. <laughs> he looked when he took off the the puppet. He looks so dejected. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he looks so haggard. It was so bad. Yeah. Did you guys catch that? Sledge watches Mbop milking that cow, and yes. he's just like, yeah. oh, did I mention the fact that he jerks off to her earlier in the movie? No, you did <laughs> not. But he does. Yeah. To the picture with all the kids on it, including his nephew. <laughs> yeah. Before putting it back on his nephew's wall. I love that. Oh. It was like zoomed in on her and then he puts it back on the wall and it's a huge class it's picture. Class portrait. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, okay. It's like, it's one of those things where you think it's bad and then it's way worse. <laughs> and I love that he tries, everything he tries to do to impress her fails. Even the whip. Yeah. I almost wanted to call him Devo, 
because he <laughs> and he whips and he you ends must up, whip it. He injures his neck. Yes, gets a necky boo boo, and then you see the zombies escaping the facility and heading to Pleasant Valley. There were some pretty legit zombie effects in there, and I really loved there were the Asian tourists who were like, hey, where do I go? What's going on? And then they end up leaving and posing with the zombie when they find him later at like the putt-putt course and then eating the one. That was a lot of fun. Was it racist? I don't know. I was they're a little racist against Asians. <laughs> There's like a lot of boat stuff. And when I was there, I was like, this is weird. I don't feel like I'm allowed to talk okay, about this. He's, he's, these guys are obviously not afraid to... To point fingers at the U.S. Yeah. for being the oh military. Oh my god! The amount of times I had to defend Trump, I didn't defend Trump. There was like, oh, so what's the deal with this? I'm like, I don't know. I don't fucking oh, yeah, know for him. <laughs> what's the deal with you being a country of well, fucking criminals? <laughs> the producer, I believe, was her name. Producer. Yeah. So this producer, Jessica, Jessica, she's actually Asian. Oh. And she talked about Trump's presidency and how she wants to. Uh, Oh, quote her here. She made an effort to support films that encourage everybody to think about the importance of empathy because of because of Trump. <laughs> wow. Like, wow. So, <laughs> I just think it's kind of funny. So there's obviously the thing with the Asian tourists seems kind of on the nose there. Like, yeah, it's very out of place to the rest of the film. Yes. Yeah. Lupita Nyong'o is an immigrant to this country. Teddy McGiggles is one, but they like these people very specifically. It's like a, a, as stereotype within a stereotype that you get. This goes all the way back to Gremlins 2, motherfucker, with the Asian <laughs> guy who was taking all the video camera stuff. Mm. So it's a little, I'm not, who am I to judge? I'm just a guy who says things very loud and fast on a podcast that nobody listens to. <laughs> Let's move on, shall we? Now, the Miss Caroline, she's doing the counting to get the kids' attention, right? And David Sledge sees her finger, sees the engagement ring, and instantly becomes a cock to her for the rest of the commuting element of the film. What do you think of that? Oh, it's great because you're like still teetering if this guy is going to even make moves like with her and then he kind of like backs off. It was uh, it was great. Yeah. At that point, you're like wondering if he could even be redeemed. Right. I thought it was great because... You know, you don't know what's going to happen in the movie. For all you know, he's just going to be a complete whiny prick the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I thought that the what was going to be the actual case with the engagement ring was it. Luckily, I was right. But I'm, you know, I'm not saying that I, I guessed it like 100%. But I've known women in the educational history. My undergrad degree is in education who did the exact same thing. I know multiple women who went out and bought themselves fake engagement rings so they could wear it so they wouldn't have to deal with creepy dads. Because dads be creepy. Ring doesn't stop creepy dads. Oh, I know. There's this one <laughs> weird dad. I could say things that could probably get my wife fired about this one creepy dad. <laughs> I glared at that motherfucker. If I was Cyclops, I would have put an optic blast through his head. <laughs> Let's move on, shall we? <laughs> Woo! Getting me fired up, Jimothy. <laughs> Talk to us about the damn tractor ride. All right. So after he sees the ring while they're eating lunch, I believe. Oh, can you do me go, a favor? Can you sing We've Got a Tractor to Ride in the theme of Ticket to Ride? And go. <laughs> so, they go to the tractor ride. <laughs> We've got a tractor to ride. Okay, keep going. <laughs> Ryan's here. <laughs> okay, so Miss Caroline takes them to the tractor ride, and Felix is loving it because he loves tractors. 
and they're wondering where all the sheep are. And their tour guide stops them and goes to check out because there's a zombie eating a sheep and she gets killed. And so I like that she tries to hide it from the kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The whole time. And uh, oh, this is where uh, David is talking shit to Max. Yep. The, Super the inappropriate. <laughs> As a kid says some shit to Felix. He's like, oh, where's your dad? We don't even know if you have a dad. And then he talks about boning the kid's mom. Yeah. <laughs> like, damn, because Felix doesn't have like a biological dad. He was like a te- quote unquote test tube baby. And so Miss Caroline immediately is like, what is happening? You cannot talk to children that way. And then she's completely derailed because in the, you know, the back of the screen, they're having the dialogue face to face in the background. There's the The guy getting eaten. Right. And it's on the, because she had like a microphone on and you could hear it over the speakers. She's like, (laughs) and they finally notice. And so Caroline goes and grabs a pitchfork and David, I think David goes to the tractor and Felix is like, he's like, you're going to drive the tractor? And he's like coaching. He was like, the clutch is on the left. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, how do you know this? Like, I love tractors. Yeah. <laughs> so Caroline pitchforks the zombie in the stomach and sticks him to a tree and yeah. grabs yeah. The, the hat and straw beard from the, <laughs> the scarecrow and puts it on its face. I thought that was pretty cool. All I could think of was the scary stories to tell in the dark with the yeah. subplot with the <laughs> scarecrow. Continue. <laughs> So they all get the, David gets the tractor going and Caroline goes and she starts distracting the kids with uh, playing like nursery rhymes on the uke. And um, I like how informal we are here. It's not a ukulele anymore. It's just a uke. uke. (laughs) Ukulele was my father. (laughs) Did you like the aerial shots that they did with that drone? They do it a couple times. I really liked it when they're showing like, because David gets to the part where there's like zombies in the road. He's like, I can't go around. And it's right. like, yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah. But I understand for the point of the plot, you can't. But I mean, I really like those visual shots, especially the end when they're like the parade of zombies. That was super fun. Yeah. So, yeah, they get stopped in the middle of the road. And so they decide that they have to get out. And this is where you see Caroline's teacher skills. She does the one, two, three eyes on me. One, two eyes on you. <laughs> <laughs> and so they get, they get all the kids in a conga line. Dave is like, what? <laughs> Sorry. Like, what the hell is this? And David picks up the kid with spina bifida. It's super funny. And he's at the end and they're just running through all the zombies and he's using the walker. She says that this has been the surprise they've been talking about the whole time. All right. And this is all a video game. I think it's super fun because the kids just go for it. So they're getting, they're running to the gift shop and... David's holding this kid and using his walker to fend off zombies and the kids using like finger guns at all the zombies, which I thought was pretty fun. Rad. Yeah. So they get to the gift shop and they see the bus driver being eaten on the way. The host, I guess you, I want to say camp host, but the host of like the petting of, zoo of the petting zoo yeah. is a zombie and eating a porcupine yeah. and all the, the, <laughs> I had a debate with my wife. I believe it's a hedgehog because it's so small. And she was insisting it was a porcupine. But I was like, porcupines are giant and their quills are giant. So if you know, send us a message at slasherspot at gmail.com. It was a vicious knockdown drag out fight that lasted all of two seconds. Really? (laughs) She called me the C word. Mm. She put out a cigarette on my forehead. We don't even have cigarettes in this household. I don't know how she did it. It's impressive. Yeah. (laughs) She's been saving them just for that very reason. (laughs) And she put it out immediately so the baby wouldn't breathe in secondhand smoke. (laughs) So they get to the gift shop and Teddy McFuckface is in there. 
<laughs> Olaf. <laughs> Olaf. Summer. Olaf was in, inside. We're going to suit. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> No podcast too small for, <laughs> for Disney, Disney to smash. smash. People, listen, that's two people who would have bought Frozen on Blu-ray. <laughs> so Olaf is inside and he's basically telling them to go fuck yourself. And they find a hole in this to like a side room to crawl through. And uh, some Ol- really good tension here when she's trying to get through that hole and the zombies grabbing at her waist. Grabs I her pack, that. The pack yeah. off. Yeah. Her fanny pack. But there they would call it a bum bag. Really? I appreciate she does call it a bum bag. Yes, because fanny means vagina. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Yep, England and Australia. Mate. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I love it there. Only place I could see living besides California. Really? I loved it. I would go back in a heartbeat. Wife's been there twice, so she has no interest in going. So if you'd like to take us on a vacation in Australia, please let us know. We would love to come <laughs> see you. <laughs> I thought there was a good... I don't know if this was... Maybe this was improvised, but Olaf's... Points to the kid with Spina Bifida and says, leave him his meals on wheels. (laughs) Yeah, that's the best part. (laughs) Wow. So good. So she goes through the hole, loses the pack, and David has to climb up. Oh, did you notice there was also a zombie in a wheelchair? (laughs) I don't remember. Outside of the gift shop, yeah. On the topic of meals on wheels. So Sledge has to climb up on the roof, and he eventually breaks through and lands on Olaf. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and this is where the they live fight scenes take place. Yeah. Oh. With the staples and so yes. much good stuff where he just keeps calling them fat. I just love it so much. <laughs> I do like when the, the start of the fight where Olaf just he's taking this like China and just smashing it in his face. Yeah. And David gets up. He's like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> like, he's kind of not really phased. He's just yeah. like, what the fuck? He's trying to smother him with the pot handle holder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then David grabs him by the ball so hard he pukes, which is so good. I've been hitting the balls really hard. I feel like I'm going to puke. But then there's a different level of like grossness that he actually pukes. Yeah, the state he gets stapled in the face and then he gets globe, uh, snow globed in the face. Yeah. And then this is where he goes full on London calling and smashes that motherfucker with his guitar. His guitar yeah. <laughs> And so Sledge actually opens the door and lets the kids into the main room. And this is where they all get stuck in there together. And Caroline is trying to reassure all the children. And Olaf is all doom and gloom. He's like, they're zombies. Like, this is real. <laughs> You're going to fucking die. And there's a good line. Where she's trying to say the zombies aren't real. And he's like, like, fuck, they're not. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, the fucking Easter Bunny and Santa Claus, they're not real. Yeah. Super every, dark. Every time every time someone says a bad word, it's start, the kids start singing the bad, bad word, word song, bad, yeah. which I guess <laughs> which was is one his of his songs. Song. Yeah. <laughs> which causes him to, to tell him to shut the fuck up again and keep saying the F word. And then she goes and threatens him with a uh, broken like porcelain in his ribs she yeah. really lays down the law she even makes him do the stupid like canned laughter thing that he does yeah <laughs> and it sounds yeah it's great it definitely sounds like he's and did you notice so one of the zombies outside has the walkie talkie from the military, military installation and so you're getting exposition that way the same way that you kind of did in Shaun of the Dead I didn't feel like it was overly derivative, though I did see the parallel. What do you think? I mean, it happened. It happened like three times. Yeah, nothing it was, major. Yeah, it, and but it did. It did give you just enough information to know a little bit of what's going on outside of the 
the farm. I looked at that as a plot device, whereas like if you look at Zombieland 2, when you see the clone versions of Columbus and Tallahassee, I was like, that is Shaun of the Dead. Right. That is what that is. This I didn't feel like was as clear a parallel to where you would say it's even derivative. That's just me. Moving on. I love that McGiggle makes a reference to Children of the Corn and Zombies. I would love to watch that mashup movie. I'm still upset we didn't get the Warwick Davis Leprechaun versus Candyman that was pitched at one point. That is the best crossover I've ever heard. (laughs) Could you imagine? Me gold, me gold. Be my victim. Look at my rib cage and my hook. It's way too hot. That guy clearly doesn't live in California. A fur coat fucking kill me. New. (laughs) So David gives Felix chips or crisps as they call them that have dairy on them yes he then starts to go into anaphylactic shock so this is where david goes to use the EpiPen, even though his sister taught him how to do it blue in the sky orange in the whatever does it wrong felix starts to have even worse reaction guess what EpiPen wouldn't give them the rights to use the name in the film because they didn't want a depiction of somebody using their product incorrectly, even though it was a major plot device to make them use it correctly, and they say how to use it correctly in the film. That sucks. Yeah. Not a fan. So you know what my official stance is? I don't care how many people you've saved EpiPen, you can get fucked. <laughs> Hot they takes. could also get fucked for you raising, know, the price. raising the price <laughs> when they didn't need to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pharmaceuticals. Bernie, Bernie. <laughs> Anyway, who else, show of hands, this is an audio podcast. Who's feeling the burn? <laughs> wow, a resounding amount. Brian, keep your fucking clothes on. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's tickling his own butthole while whispering to himself about Bernie Sanders. Where'd you get that Trump hat? <laughs> Why are you shitting on it? Oh, I have to clean that up in my studio garage. There's so much shit in that MAGA hat. <laughs> Let's do one political episode. <laughs> So I actually did a pilot episode of a show called The Landing Party right after Trump was elected. And my co-host and I got so mad, we just decided never to do it again. (laughs) I was like shaking mad at one point. I was like, all right, we're good. And if I'm alienating you because you're a Trump supporter, I really couldn't give a shit less. You have the most antagonistic fuck face president ever. I love it so much that they're like, hey, let's use kid gloves. When he's like, oh, yeah, you mean Pocahontas? Like, that's this guy. We'll move on. I'm I'm literally getting mad. Zen. Oh. <sighs> Calm. Talk to me about zombies. Make me happy again. <laughs> The next thing that happens, yeah, so he goes to anaphylactic shock. And speaking of as a father who has a kid that holds his breath and passes out, that was really hard to watch. Forsyth said this was the hardest thing to write, to direct, and to edit. He hated seeing it because it's such a real thing in his life. Yeah. It's so it's obviously different situations. It doesn't have allergies that we know of. But seeing your kid go pale and stuff like that, and then eventually coming back, like, yeah, that was rough. Wife almost wanted to turn the movie off, but we got through it. <laughs> yeah. But what's funny, that's like the scariest part of the movie and it has nothing right. to do with violence. Yeah. This is also the time, going back to what we talked about in the beginning, where the kids, this is the only time really that the kids kind of looked scared. They yeah. looked a little scared when they were going through the zombies, but they thought they were playing tag. Playfully scared. They were yeah. playfully scared. This They looked legitimately scared and sad and frightened and 
that was it just added so much more to the tension of the scene. They grasped the horror. They have seen him struggle with this before. So there was no question what was happening. They were very aware of not only what was happening, but the consequence of it happening. That was cool. So she goes and she gets the EpiPen from I'm gonna say it EpiPen. EpiPen. <laughs> she goes to the tractor, she gets the EpiPen, and she beats the ever loving shit out of those zombies with the shovel. Loved it. Yes. When she hits the bus driver in the stomach where the pitchfork was to knock him down to his yeah. knees to chop the head off with the shovel. That's gold, brother. That's right. Oof. This is like the part that I wish Sean did in Shaun of the Dead. When okay. he's like running through, I was like, this was done better. And Instead I loved of like it. bopping someone. Yeah, like, like bopping Murdo. him on the shoulder and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, hey, what's up? Right. This part was just awesome. And it's even better because she's so sugary sweet. I think that this right. works better than even if Sean had done it because Sean, like, yeah, Sean's a fuck up. If he did something cool, it's funny in that regard. But she's also so prim and proper that to have it be a completely antithesis, I think it works even better for me. Yeah, but, it was perfect. But she's great. Like, she's super charming throughout this whole film. So, yes, let's move on. She crashes through the roof of the gift shop and gets the injection for the little lad who instantly feels better and his girlfriend... Don't forget he has a girlfriend, breathes a sigh of relief. McGiggle then hears the helicopter. Ha ha. He throws the trinkets on the floor and climbs up to the roof and then falls off and begs to be let in, which I love. So David's the one who helps him up. And then they have this weird kind of kind of heart to heart on the roof talking about their circumstance. I love that scene. Yes, it's very good. This is like where you kind of get the connection that they're both fuck ups. Yeah, very much so. Right. And this is also like what we talked about previous where the switch happens. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, this is the definitive moment where. Correct. It, well, I wouldn't say this part. I'd say what happens after this part is so clear because they see McGiggles' van. They decide they're going to go try and get the van. So they go through and they're kind of going into different ways so that if one gets caught, they can get there. Save the kids. Right. Well, McGiggle gets there first, locks the door. And gives a fuck of you, Mr. Man, <laughs> and won't let him in. But here's the great part. Yeah. Froggy gets just glorious revenge. I love this. I love this so much. It's so hokey and silly, the fact that the puppet is the cannibal. But it is great to see him disemboweled with it. The absurdity <laughs> of it is just great. The face rip, too. The face rip, yeah. It is oh, so good. It was really good. And it's so brief. That you're like, what? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Because well, because so far we haven't really seen anybody get like we see people like get that have been and dead. Stuff, yeah. Or and and most of the gore was from like farm animals. Yeah. Which is okay. It's visceral and and gross. But to see his <laughs> his cheek ripped off like this that, is so great. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> and then so Sledge climbs up to the top of the van and he actually gets signal. He gets to talk to his sister and he gets to say, you know, thank you for raising me. I really, you know. I'm indebted to you. And then he drops the phone and she hears the sounds of him struggling and thinks that he's dead. I like this scene a lot. Yes. I think that it's very integral to the movie. I could see how people would say it's like hokey and kind of been done before. But I like that sentimentality because that's like the gesture of like, I'm acknowledging my faults. I'm trying to atone for them. And it seems it's not just because he's going to die. He doesn't know he's going to die. It seems likely. But what he's saying to her is like, regardless of any circumstance like you deserve to be thanked and apologized to and then we get <laughs> i mean i love the absurdity of what happens in this part as much if not more as the frog cannibal 
You're right. Chad, would you like to walk us through what happens with... They know that he's trapped and they also know that they need the tractor. So the kid dresses up as Darth Vader. What do we name the kid? Anakin. Oh, Anakin. Dresses up as as Vader. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, pretty much just starts running through all of the zombies. Also still playing as Darth Vader, which is great. With the red putt-putt as his lightsaber. (laughs) And he runs and gets into the... Well, as he's running to get to the tractor, he goes by the petting zoo area and sees a baby lamb still uneaten. Which you see earlier, and it's like getting closed in on the other side. And I was like, no, my vegan heart can't take it. <laughs> and you see it, like, oh, my vegan heart can't take it again. <laughs> and he goes there, picks it up, and a whole bunch of zombies basically followed him. They're about to eat him. He uses the force to pull <laughs> a gate closed, but it's actually just a zombie who barely bumps it and closes the gate so none of them could reach him. It was just really good. And then he basically gets to the tractor and drives it all over the place. He crashes into that statue, <laughs> but right. he saves Uncle David. And it's just, I love the whole presentation of it. The fact that he falls for his own force joke. I mean, it's just great. It's a nice bit of levity. And I just love those surreal moments. Like I've always wanted to shoot like a really gritty like a post-apocalyptic film where a guy thinks he's out alone and he's the only person who's left in the world, right? Then he goes into a shop and there's just a Muppet behind the counter and they have a conversation. He buys some supplies and he goes <laughs> off into the fucking sunset without ever acknowledging the fact that he was talking to a puppet. That's the kind of thing I'm into and I love it. All like, right. If you do yourself a favor, look up short film Hitman Manamana on YouTube. That is the epitome of my sense of humor. <laughs> okay. So in t- talking about whether he likes slow or fast zombies, this is a good point. In the film, the soldiers are acknowledging this is A, it's happened before, and there's even differentiation between, oh, are these the fast zombies or are these the slow zombies? The director prefers slow zombies because he referred to George A. Romero's slow zombies and saying that they're absurd and they have the potential to be both comedic and serious, noting that it's a lot harder to be funny with a fast zombie. I think zombie land is the only one that does it in any way kind of effective, but even then they're not consistently that fast. You know, there's right. There seemed to be a little bit of a difference between the test subjects. Cause they just were so much more like gruesome looking than the people that were just like bitten, but right. But like, yeah, they didn't been, go faster. They've been zombies for a while. Right. Yeah, And so the radio, you get the exposition. They're going to try Operation Hailstorm, which is where they're going to just bombard the area, nuke it, and it's all going to be done. <laughs> yes. Right. Which you can't blame them because I mean, if you're going to save the world that, you know, I'm sorry, kids, but we need to save the entire world. And it seems that they're very aware of the crisis that is coming to them. So the troops end up seeing when the kids get on the tractor with Miss Caroline singing to them and they're playing putt-putt where Max is hitting the zombies, but they start singing along. Right. This is a great scene to me. I think this is actually very great. So they're going along. They're singing. The zombies are singing back. Kind of gets your day of the dead. You're smart zombie or whatever. There's nothing left of the man you loved in there. And then he turns off the radio. So the army man sees the tractor, doesn't acknowledge (laughs) the kids, and they're fully willing to just open fire. But because they're singing, which becomes so important to the end of this film and is important at the beginning of this film, 
They know they can't shoot the kids. Did you guys like that as much as I did? I was like, I loved what he said because he was like, he's not going to. I can't shoot the kids. Not not again. again. Yeah. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's like such a lived in world where like there's so it's like cabin in the woods to an extent. Right. There's so much beyond what we're seeing. They're so aware of zombies. They're dealing with it. They've dealt with it before. I like that a lot. Yeah. Because it also contextualizes this is a crisis for these people, but overall, it doesn't need to be. We don't need a pandemic crisis. This didn't need, because I heard somebody describe this movie as pocus apocalyptic. No, it is not. It is not a zombie apocalypse at all. No, it's, it's a very, very microcosm. contained. Yeah. And it was interesting because uh, Sledgehammer even wanted to save the zombies at the end where he's like, no, if you just sing and they're not really that dangerous, but they just blow them all away anyway. Which is great. Right. It's so dark to think that here we're giving you this opportunity to try and fix the situation and they're just like, no, military force. We're Americans. Second Amendment even overseas. Right. So the kids arrive as soon as they pull past. The soldiers don't even wait for the kids to be out of earshot. They just, as soon as they get past them, just start mowing down the zombies. (laughs) And the kids are like, ah! And that's the scariest thing that they encounter the whole movie, which you got to love is them being saved. There's a metaphor there for something, right? So, Jim, you want to talk about quarantine? Yeah, so they... uh, Oh! We left out. God damn it. God damn it. When the troop is looking through the binoculars, they say it's a woman with a tiny guitar. And then he goes, sir, that's a ukulele, sir. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That has to be mentioned because that is so perfect. (laughs) Then we end up in quarantine. Go ahead. So, yeah, so after they, they get off the back of the tractor and they're all happy and... David and Caroline kiss and the bomb goes off in the background and then these people in hazmat suits fireworks everyone fireworks everyone yeah, she's so, so optimistic um, she's talking about the smooch Jim I don't know if you caught that yes <laughs> oh okay I didn't know if you were a hopeless romantic like me so anyways guys in hazmat suits swoop in a la E.T. and snatch up the kids basically cuts to at the the parents, right? The parents walking in. It's it's like the general. Like, is this going to be a, the good news good, or the bad news? Bad news, yeah. And he <laughs> like good news, sir. And he walks in. It's, a, it's all the parents wondering, and he, he's he's like, Every, they're all fine. Everybody's accounted for. The two teachers were great. They're like, oh, there's only there's only one teacher. And he's like, well, they wouldn't have been saved if it wasn't for David so and so. She's like, that's my brother. And <laughs> that's uh, they the all fall. They all follow him into the room where they're quarantined and they're all in like sweats, pajamas, whatever, and singing Shake It Off and dancing around. And it's a very teary-eyed moment, like happy teary-eyed. Exactly. I love that the sister gets to see that. Right. Like, I, I understand it's kind of weird to say, oh, they're in quarantine. Immediately, you can see the people in quarantine. But it's such a great visual. Like, she acts the shit out of that part to show, like... This is a lifetime that's come to fruition. And right. it's so cool because it has this kind of sense of permanence. Like, that's a changed person. Right. I, it's such a good feel-good ending. That's, it's a way happier ending to me even than Shaun of the Dead. Like, I love the ending of oh, Shaun yeah. of the Dead. They're playing one of my favorite video games of all time. It's, a you know, <laughs> speaking to, you know, being content with where you are. But this is just, it's great. I mean, Shaun of the Dead was a funny ending. Yeah, This exactly. was a really heartfelt ending. Right. It's very appropriate. 
And I mean, you, I like that song a lot. Like Taylor Swift has some fucking jamming music. I actually had a pleasure of talking to one of the, so one of her backup dancers had a really bad spinal fracture. And so her dad is also in work comp. And so I was talking to him about and She's apparently like the nicest person ever. So whenever I hear songs like mean or whatever, I'm like, I'm not turning this off. <laughs> <laughs> I will allow it to remain because you're not the worst person ever. So that is my two cents on Taylor Swift. I don't care if you like it, but we did forget one thing. Because as soon as I said Taylor Swift out loud, forgot to mention Miss Caroline when she has her heartfelt confession about how she ended up in Australia as a teacher. Oh, yeah. Where she talks about how she was following this band on her parents' dime all across <laughs> the continent. And she's in Taylor's hotel room. And David's like, oh, Taylor Swift. And she goes, no, Hanson. Mbop. Mbop. <laughs> and she just says it like it is. So he calls security. She jumps out of the window, breaks her arm, has no job, and has to get a job taking care of kids. So her going to kids is a sense of desperation as well, just like David. So it's a weird interconnectedness. I love that he doesn't judge her. Like, they just kind of move on. Right. We also forgot to mention, because I, I think we did it because I sang it earlier, Sweet Caroline. I don't give a fuck. I love that. It's <laughs> yeah. so hokey and hammy, but I love it. Because... I, as a dude who listens to nothing but hardcore and metal and angry music and angsty music, when a sweet song comes on, the amount of fucking grossly cute playlists I've made my wife on her Spotify account would make your head spin until Linda Blair would puke. <laughs> and it's it speaks to me. Chad, you don't music. Jim, we had the same artists play at both of our weddings, albeit via MP3 but with Destin Kensrue. So <laughs> I know you had to feel this, right? Yeah. The Sweet so, Caroline. Speaking of wedding, so Shake It Off and Sweet Caroline, they both get played at pretty much every wedding I've been to. Yeah. And I've been to a lot of weddings in the last five years. And it's always fun. I don't care how cheesy they are. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Not Brian's. Not mine either, but I had a band because I'm sassy. Not mine. Mine was a long time Before, ago. Yeah. Well, you're post Neil Diamond pre Taylor Swift. You're old. Your marriage is old and stale. Yep. You should reinvigorate it by introducing Brian into your bedroom. Nah, Brian, you stop all... shitting in that MAGA hat. <laughs> there, it can only contain so much feces. <laughs> and so, gentlemen, is this a classic, a trashic, or a tragic? Oh, easily classic. Classic. It is absolutely classic. Yeah. I dare say, it, like at least tied, if not a winner, in terms of horror comedies that we've done. I like this as much if not better even as Blood Diner in terms of the wonderful surprise it was to me. I did not go into this. I, I saw people posting about it on Instagram and I was like, okay, sure. Why the fuck not? And then I was like, I love this movie. Yes. <laughs> I was the same. When they said streaming on Hulu, I was like, eh, okay. Because after, what was it? The Stephen King Castle Rock. Castle Rock. I watched that whole thing and was just let down. And I was like, if this is what I'm looking forward to, I don't know. And then I watched this and I was just like boners all the way. I can't think of any exclusive Hulu content at all that I've enjoyed. So this was just a huge surprise. Yeah. Agreed. Jim, what do you think? Loved it. I don't, I don't really watch anything on Hulu either. So I don't, I don't have anything to compare it to. I'm pretty sure I keep my Hulu subscription just so I get the most recent episodes of The Good Place. But that's yeah, going to end soon. Too. <laughs> but then I'm going to get it compartmentalized with Disney Plus. So what's it fucking matter anyway, yep. right? But yeah, uh, is it good enough to beat Alien? 
It's so different. It's very difficult to do. But right. it's also the same premise of not the most original script in the world, but executed so well, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I would say that Alien probably is better for my personal taste. Yeah. But this one just hit me in the perfect spot in my life. And that's something, too, we kind of have to give people credit for. Like, if you're a 20-something dude and you're just trying to sling dicks around, you're probably not going to like this movie as a bunch of dads. But, like, the familiarity of that insecurity that comes with your kid being in a situation, I mean, that's dope. Yeah, I totally agree. I still like Alien more. But, yeah, definitely fits my life right now. Say a 1A, 1B scenario. Correct. This is the silver medalist. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, you agree? Yeah. I mean, it's alien. How could, It's hard to put it up. I mean, we need more categories, but it's not. <sighs> we can't really. I mean... <laughs> well, we used to have more categories. Well, it wasn't technically more. It was just more fancy names because originally yeah. it was the Stably Cup instead of the Stanley Cup for best best. Then it was the Scalder Cup. Then it was the Killy Cup because that, if you know your <laughs> hockey, it's NHL is Stanley, AHL is Calder, and ECHL is Kelly. And I forgot that nobody gives a fuck yep. about hockey in California <laughs> and nobody gives a fuck about my horror podcast. So you add those two things and it was like, oh, uh, nope, definitely not going to listen to that. So we minimized it to simply classic tragic tragic. Or is there a motion on the table to do a specific horror a Zomcom? Because I don't know that we're going to have enough of those of viability. No, it's too much of a hassle. Yeah, but I don't want to have to make graphics of anything else. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. So with that being said, gentlemen, would you like to say goodbye to our lovely mutant goons from beyond? Enjoy killing time until next week. Beep, beep, fuck boys. And for Brian, God, please, it's leaking out of the back of the MAGA hat onto my floor. <laughs> ah, it's staining the grout. Anyway, for Brian, for Chad, for Jim, and myself, my name is Jake, reminding you to go out there and do something you love, and remember that all work and no power play, still doing hockey puns, makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs> oh, Brian, the butthole is leaking <laughs> everywhere. We have a hidden track for you. We have a hidden track. It's by Francis Hollow. It is called Them! Exclamation point. Which, if you have um, known, I guess, your film history, is based on the film of the same title from 1954. This artist, Francis Hollow, has a new EP out called The Darkness and All Its Friends, and in that, he refers to the Wolfman, them, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Nosferatu, and you gotta check out the album artwork. It's so gnarly. It's by a Spanish artist named Nache Ramos, who can be found at nacheramos.tumblr.com. Check out the song. It's awesome. He provided me with a great analysis of why he loves the song, loves the movie, both in terms of the substance of it and kind of its kitschy place in film history. This is our type of people, goon. You want to go support him. Listen to Francis Hollow, Spotify, Bandcamp. Enjoy what you can and share and share alike.
Take a fight.